If you'd join me, please, in Acts chapter 3, your copy of God's Word. And if you're using the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, remember that YouVersion Bible app has in the lower right corner a More section. You click that More, and there's events. And then you'll find Southview Baptist Church, and all your sermon notes will be in there, put in there diligently each week by our friend Chris. And um, you can take notes, you can share from there, and everything. So join us in Acts chapter 3 as we continue our sermon series, The Spirit, the Church, and the World. My title taken from John R.W. Stott's commentary on the book of Acts because I love that. It emphasizes the work of the Spirit to establish the church and the mission to the world as we walk verse by verse, week by week, through the book of Acts. This is the sixth sermon in our series. And next Sunday we'll be in the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, with a sermon entitled, Stop. But today's sermon is Jump. When we get there, if you don't know already, you'll know why it's called Jump. And please don't sing Van Halen. So let me read to you. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Those will be on the screen for you as well. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg by those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. Now, some of us, depending on our personality, don't get too excited about things. You look at other people and you go, "Uh, what are you so excited about? Others get a little bit excited about things. You're like, hey, that's good. Some are like, yes, that's nice. Whereas some of us are like, woohoo, hey, wow. And we're jumping up and we're going crazy, not just for the Huskers if they get a win, right? And if you don't get excited about things, there's still probably something in your life that would cause you to jump, whether it's jumping in fear or jumping in surprise. But some things are so moving that we can't contain ourselves and our words are not enough to express ourselves and it has to come out in our bodies, whether our hands or our faces or our entire body, and we jump up. That's what we see happening here. Now, before we dig further into the scripture, let's look back at our scripture memory verse for the month, and that'll be on your screen for you, and that's from this sermon today, Acts 3, 19. Let's say it together. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, Acts 3, 19. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we read the beginning of this passage today. This man, miraculously healed, jumps up to his feet, praising you all around the temple courts. And we can only imagine what's to come. We remember last week's sermon where you brought the Holy Spirit to the gathered believers. And there was the sound. And there were the tongues of fire. 
And there were folks speaking in tongues. And that miraculous display of power drew an audience for Peter to preach. And when he preached the gospel of Jesus and salvation for all who will repent and follow him, 3,000 were added to their church that day. And so here we are with another story before us where a miraculous event has happened and we can only imagine what is to come in the verses that follow here in Acts 3. We ask God that by your power that you'd speak to us today. That we would hear what you'd have us to hear. That we would obey what you'd have us to obey. And we would become who you've called us to become. And just as this man born lame was healed, we might be healed as well. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And everyone says, Amen. Thank you. Your first point on your outline this morning is that a crippled man jumps up. A crippled man jumps up. Peter and John are on their way to the temple for afternoon prayers. Well, why would they be doing that? Keep in mind that the believers at this point, the church, even though it numbered over 3,000 because at the end of Acts chapter 2, the Lord was still adding to their number daily. So there are 3,000 plus at this point in time. These were Jewish believers. So they're coming from their Judaic background and their rituals and their sacrifices and those sort of things. But they had if you will, added Jesus as the fulfillment of all Judaism, as the Messiah, and they identified him that way, though not all Jews did then and not all Jews do even today. And so they were going to keep prayers, the afternoon prayers, about three in the afternoon, that they would as good, obedient Jewish people. And as was the custom, and so often would be in those days and time, somebody with some sort of ailment or illness was in a place where folks would be these days. Think about it even today. Someone down on their luck, where do they sit or stand? Downtown, where folks are going to walk by. On the corner, going out of the grocery store or Walmart, so that you might give them a donation if you'd like to. Not unlike today was then in verse 2. The man crippled from birth. Now, Please know that I don't mean to offend anybody by using the term crippled uh, or what I'll refer to him throughout the rest of the sermon as the, more, the man born lame or the lame man. It's not derogatory, it's descriptive. We might say today is disabled, but herein most often referred to as lame and that's how we'll refer to him. But you notice that it was from birth. So whether it was some sort of birth defect or something happened in birth, so you'd have to imagine just to think about his life, that from the time he was little, he couldn't use his legs. So his legs are not the size your legs are. His legs don't do anything except slow him down and keep him from going places and make his life difficult. Where he had to have friends or somebody he hired, Uber, to take him to the temple courts every day where he might Beg for money to support himself. What kind of life or existence would that be? How difficult would that be? So when he sees Peter and John, he did what he did to everybody else or anybody who would make eye contact with him, right? He asked him for some money. Now Peter says to him, look at me. In other words, look straight at me. And the man did. 
And so he gave them his attention, it says in verse 5, and then verse 6, what does Peter say? I don't have silver and gold to give to you, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. (laughs) And then verse 7, taking him by his right hand, he helped him up. One commentator put it this way, this was not a hand of doubt or disbelief that Peter reached out to him. This was a hand of faith. Peter knew that in the name of Jesus, this man would be healed and this man's feet and legs would work when he lifted him up. And sure enough, they did. And the man did not get up like a wobbly baby calf, but his legs were immediately made whole. So much so that he could walk, that he could run, that he could jump. Can you imagine his mind and everybody that knew him looking at him? The hand that Peter reached down to him was a hand of faith, a hand of healing, but also a hand of acceptance and a hand of welcome. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But it's the same today. We know people and we may be a person that although we do not have a physical disability, there's something that's happened in our spirit, there's something that's happened in our mind, the way that someone has mistreated us or sinned against us, even repeatedly, habitually, even for decades, that we are broken and sick on the inside. And that sin that has, we've allowed to come into our lives has taken over our lives and we too need healing in the name of Jesus. We need to be set free. And it's just, will we, with the hand of faith, reach up as the Lord Jesus or someone in His name reaches down and extends their love to us? You notice what it says there as the passage of Scripture goes on. In verse 8, He jumped up to His feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, if you don't know, you might think, okay, he's sitting outside the temple at this gate called Beautiful, 75 feet tall columns. I mean, that's really tall. And he's begging for people. His legs don't work. Then Peter reaches down in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He's walking. And then the man goes into the temple courts. Here's the fact that we miss. According to the Jewish law, that man previously, who was a Jew by birth, was considered unclean by the fact that, no fault of his own, he couldn't walk. That would have been the first time in his entire life he'd gone into the temple courts. The first time in his entire life where he had been accepted or welcomed For no fault of his own, something that had happened to him. So here he is going in to praise and worship God in the place that was meant to praise and worship God. But he's not doing it through ritual. He's not doing it through sacrifice. He's doing it in a body that's fully whole and restored, unlike ever before. And he's walking and jumping. And people are taking notice. Have you ever been an outcast or felt as an outcast? That you weren't included for something. The color of your skin. The place you grew up in. Your socioeconomic condition. Your level of education. Your beliefs of some sort. This man knew all about that. And in a moment, in the name of Jesus, it was all changed. We're all welcomed in Jesus as well. 
that God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, and He accepts you and welcomes you to Himself, which leads us to our first question, is how can Jesus change a life? How can Jesus change a life? We see how Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Peter changed this man's life by the Holy Spirit causing a miracle and his legs to be made whole where he could walk and run and jump and everything like that. But even today, how can Jesus change lives to bring healing in hearts and minds? Physical healing can still happen as God intends it. How can Jesus change a life? And not just thinking about other people, what about you? What is it in your life that needs changed, healed, made whole in the name of Jesus? There's still power in the name of Jesus. God still works miracles as He intends. His sovereignty is still that absolute reign, power and authority over all creation. So what we see here in our first point is a miraculous cure Proof that Jesus was still a living power at work in the name, uh, by his name, through his apostles. What we see in our second point is an amazed crowd that gathers quickly. An amazed crowd that gathers quickly. Now, this is just three scripture verses we haven't read previously, so let's read through them. Verse 9. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Just as I referred to in my prayer, I errantly said one week ago, it was two weeks ago, where we saw the miracle of the coming of the Holy Spirit through the sound of the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the people speaking in languages they didn't know so others could hear the message of God's goodness and glorify God. Here again, we see a miraculous instance in which then, our third point we're going to get to in a minute, Peter takes advantage of to preach the gospel And so here these folks are amazed and gather quickly. Verse 11 says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John. Now, keep in mind, it's not that his legs suddenly didn't work. He was running and jumping and telling everybody. But you imagine he was running and jumping with Peter, with John, Kind of like somebody on The Price is Right, you know, when they grab Bob Barker. Well, I guess it's Drew Carey now, but Bob Barker, in my opinion, was a better host. So, you know, they're jumping up and down, and they're trying to get Bob to jump up and down with them. And he's like, hey, hey, and he's just standing there with his mic and his perfect hair, trying not to jump up and down too much. This is probably what's happening, that this man is jumping and running, but he doesn't want Peter and John to get away from him. He doesn't know how long the miracle is going to last. He may not have heard anything about Jesus before. He doesn't want to let these guys out of his grasp, much less out of his sight. So he's holding on to them. And what does it say in the end of verse 11? All the people were astonished. It had said previously in verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement. But then it says in the end of verse 11, and they came running in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, this other large area on the eastern side of the temple complex, a place where many times Jesus would teach, a place where the first church had began to meet because they needed that much space. So they come here. Imagine knowing that man. Imagine or consider how you'd feel knowing that he had been healed. This was a miracle. This just didn't happen. Even in Jewish folk belief, let's say somebody was injured as an adult. 
they might get healed, but to imagine for them in their folk belief that he was lame from birth. His legs were shriveled up and small, and they had never worked, and we always saw people carry him. He wasn't faking it, but now he's completely healed, and he's got legs just like you and me that work just like ours. Oh, my. Who do you know that needs healed? Who do you know that needs set free? Maybe it's the person in the mirror. Do they need a miracle? Are you praying for them without ceasing, crisising? Are you sharing Jesus with them, believing, living a life of Christ in front of them that they might see the gospel in you, but speaking a gospel message, inviting them to confess Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, repent and turn from their sins and follow him forever. The miracle here leads us to our question. That's your second question on your outline is when do people believe a miracle? In your experience, I mean, maybe you've never witnessed a miracle. Maybe you have. You weren't there at the time, but you've heard stories of somebody that they had a body that was filled with tumors and cancer and they're going to have surgery and they go in and they take one more MRI in the morning of the surgery and then the surgeons come back with astonishment and say, I don't know what happened, but there's no more tumors there. Remember Mitch Walker, our friend that had been hit by a car on I-70 in Missouri that came to Madonna um, here in Lincoln. And Mitch was so beat up by that car that it hit him going at 70 or 80 miles an hour on the interstate that there was not enough bone in his left hip for them to be able to insert his hip that he might ever walk again. And people prayed for him over multiple days' time, and just before they were getting ready to say, that's it, we can't do anything anymore, they took one more MRI, and there was bone where there had not been bone three days before. There was a hip socket where there had not been a hip socket three days before. God can still do miracles in a physical sense, just as He can in a spiritual sense and an emotional sense. So when do people believe a miracle? You and I know there's some folks that will never believe it. They, even if we showed them the MRIs of Mitch Walker's hips, they'd go, no. Even if you showed them the MRIs of the person that had cancer, that it was gone, they'd say, no, there's got to be some other explanation. The previous one was wrong. But there are some that do. There's still miracles today. There's still lives changed. Because God is still God. God still loves people. God is still powerful. God still changed. God still forgives. And through Jesus, God still saves, no matter who, no matter what, no matter where. Which leads us to our third question. Our third statement, excuse me. The third point on your outline is that a Christ follower preaches Jesus. Verse 12 and following. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Peter's hung out with Jesus for a few years. He's seen a couple miracles. Think about that, right? Miracles, although um, not surprising, are a little more commonplace to him than the folks that just saw this one. He says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Now, Peter's smart. He may have been unschooled and ordinary, as they say of him in chapter 4, but he had spent time with Jesus. 
And he knew Jesus' teaching method in asking questions. Jesus' teaching method in connecting back to the Old Testament, uh, our Old Testament, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those fathers of the Jewish people when he's, Jesus was preaching to Jewish people. And so Peter does the same thing. And then notice he's about to lower the hammer on him, however. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that he, a murderer, be released to you. Four different ways he pounds on them as Jewish people, folks that were faithful to the religion, and said, you were part of taking Jesus' life, but you got to love the juxtaposition of verse 15. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Because he's the author of life, he can't stay dead. You killed him, but he's alive. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he was given complete healing as you can all see. Mic drop. I'm Peter out, y'all. Now, Peter doesn't do the mic drop because he's got to finish preaching the gospel and lead these folks to repentance. Even though he's just lowered the hammer on them, look at what comes next. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. There's grace. Even in the midst of pronouncement of judgment, even in the midst of hard truth, there's grace from Peter, grace from God. Verse 18, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. And here he gets to repentance. I'm going to go the other way. Change of heart, mind, and direction. Repentance is when you're going one way and you say, I'm going to go the other way. You turn away from the life of self and sin and seek a life of Christ and righteousness. And he says there in verse 19, our scripture memory verse for the month, repent then and turn to God. And then you get the so that. You know I love the so that. So that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I don't know about you, I think that's a pretty good so that. That all your sins you've ever committed would be wiped out, erased as far as the east is from the west. And that times of refreshing will come. For the Jewish listener, he was hearkening back to this idea of springs of living water. They lived in a desert. That God was going to bring blessing to them that would be physical but also spiritual. And he goes on in verse 20 and he says, And that he may be sin the Christ who has appointed for you even Jesus he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. He's speaking of when Christ comes back to take all of us to heaven that are believers of all ages and all times. Verse 22 through 25. Now he's going to connect the dots with those that the Jewish first listeners would venerate. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people you must listen to everything he tells you. He's saying Jesus is the prophet Moses talked about. Verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from all his people. He's saying to these Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. Moses, 
who is the chief of all men that you venerate, said that this is Jesus. Now look at verse 24. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. How many prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament? Over 600, depending on how you count. All of them prophesied of Jesus to come. And Samuel on, they did. Now verse 25. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. Then he connects Abraham. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Verse 26, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, Jewish people, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter preaches Jesus, leads them to repentance, connects them to their history, reminds them of who they are, reminds them that the Messiah was to come and said, Jesus is this Messiah. The miracles you've seen has been evidence that he is powerful and his name is at work even today through my life and preaching as an apostle of his, which leads us to two concluding questions. The first one is, how was this man healed? In the name of Jesus. He was healed in the name of Jesus. Peter told him that. You saw that. Which would beg the question, how could you be healed? How could someone you know be healed or changed, made whole in the name of Jesus? And the second question, how can sins be forgiven? What did our verse 19, our scripture memory verse say? Tells us to repent and turn to God. Two different ways of saying the same thing. Repent and turn to God. Stop going your way. Have you considered if there's pain in your life, brokenness in your life, that some of it may be your fault? I'm not saying all of it, maybe none of it. But the fact that you haven't Asked God to change you, to heal you, or to forgive you. You haven't repented to the grudges you're holding on, the unforgiveness you're hanging on, the anger you're hanging on, and all the related weeds thereof. And even though somebody else may have done something grievous to you, that yes, you have a right to be hurt, broken, or angry, in Christ you can be set free from that. Maybe it's sins that you've committed. Maybe it's sins that you commit habitually. Something that you can't seem to get over. And it drags you down and keeps you from being everything you can imagine that God has for you. You need to repent as well. Whatever it is, this message that starts with the healing, a man born lame made whole physically reminds us of the power of God to heal and change any of us, no matter what our need is. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as so many times when we open your word, we are humbled that you would care even for us. We know who we are. We know what we've done. We know our secret thoughts. We know our sins. Yet, we hear repentance, turning from sin, forgiveness, healing, 
and wholeness. So God, our Father, it's our prayer that if there's anyone hearing my voice this morning that's never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, that they would make that decision today. They'd admit to you, God, that they're a sinner. They'd believe that Jesus is your Son and confess Him as their Savior and Lord. And then there's all of us that are believers in Jesus that we struggle with sin and we struggle with all the things that have happened in our life to disable us. Maybe today's the day we give it to you for the last time and then we would be made whole and healed. God, would we obey you now in response to the message we've heard. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.